Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Do Hongyu with you on this Monday, January the 8th, 2024. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, the Maldivian president is paying a state visit to China this week. The U.S. Secretary of State visits the Middle East again to prevent the Israel-Hamas conflict from spreading. And investigators say the missing part of an Alaska Airlines plane that blew off mid-flight is found. In business, China to promote the use of clean energy. In sports, Rafael Nadal to miss the Australian Open due to a new injury. In culture and entertainment, a fashion week in China showcasing ethnic minority dress. Now today's top stories. Maldivian President Mohamed Muiz is paying a state visit to China this week. He is scheduled to meet Chinese President Xi Jinping and other leaders, including Premier Li Chiang and top legislator Zhao Leji. The president of the two countries will also attend a signing ceremony of cooperation documents. This is President Muiz's first state visit since he took office last year. China and the Maldives are partners under the Belt and Road Initiative. Now, Huang Yue takes a look at some major outcomes of that cooperation framework and at the bilateral relationship. China noted that over the past 10 years, the bilateral relations have developed deeply. Uh, the two sides have achieved fruitful results in jointly building the Belt and the Road Initiative and practical cooperation in various fields. So latest data shows that in 2022, bilateral trade reached over 451 million U.S. dollars. China mainly exported building materials, machinery and equipment and communication equipment to Maldives. Uh, Maldives while well, Maldives mainly exported aquatic parts to China. And of course, when talking about the Maldives, uh, the first word that pops up is tourism. From 2010, China was the largest source of uh, tourists to the Maldives for 10 consecutive years. And nearly 300,000 Chinese tourists uh, visited the Maldives in 2019, accounting for around 17% of total tourist arrivals that year. And a mutual, a mutual visa exemption policy between the two countries took effect in February 2023. And another Another important thing that's worth mentioning is the China-Maldives Friendship Bridge, which is known as a flagship project under the Belt and Road Cooperation. Uh, the bridge was officially opened in late August 2018 with a designated service life of 100 years. And the Maldivian President Moise once said that this bridge has changed the lives of hundreds of thousands of people, both people living there and visitors, because it gave rise to bridge-related jobs in the country. That was Huang Yue on the Maldives president's state visit to China. Tourism is the pillar industry in the Maldives. The archipelago in the Indian Ocean is an appealing option for Chinese tourists as outbound travel gathers steam. The Maldives has been eagerly awaiting the return of Chinese travelers after the lifting of COVID restrictions. Daikai spoke with industry insiders about current trends. Eight hours after taking off on a flight from Beijing, you'll be in the Maldives capital, Mali, a tropical paradise that most Chinese tourists put on their travel wish lists. What more significant boost in Chinese tourism to the Maldives occurred early last year when the two countries introduced reciprocal visa-free entry for their residents. Statistics show that within half an hour of announcing the mutual visa exemption, China's online travel platforms experienced a staggering 200% increase in page views related to the Maldives. 
In the Maldives, many of the islands are known for hosting luxury resorts rated five, six, or even seven stars, as they run under the model of one island, one hotel. The choice of islands varies based on the types of tourists, including families, groups of friends, parent-child trips, and even corporate team building. Nestled in the Indian Ocean, the world's lowest-lying nation features over 1,100 islands, inspiring many visitors to return multiple times. A public document from the Maldives' tourism ministry shows that in 2023, China ranked among the top three countries bringing the most visitors, with an impressive 187,000 tourists. As we enter 2024, many travel agencies here in China believe that trend will continue. More younger consumers are diversifying their travel demands, and a new international airport is set to open soon in the Maldives. For travel agencies, 2023 served as a transition phase for outbound tourism, setting the stage for rapid growth in 2024. The Maldives, catering to the increasing demand from Chinese tourists, is poised for this surge. Data we've collected shows a rise in middle to high-end travelers, aligning with the Maldives' appeal for upscale tourism. The new Valana International Airport is also about to go operational. Another factor contributing to the upswing is the increasing choices of younger Chinese travelers born after 1995. This generation is seen as more open to exploring diverse options for overseas honeymoons and weddings. As predicted by travel agencies, the trend is expected to bring a higher influx of Chinese travelers to the Maldives this year. That was Daikai reporting. Ten students from California are visiting China this week as part of a people-to-people exchange program. It will also consolidate the sister city relationship between Long Beach and Qingdao. Eddie Tiangsang has more. Ten students from California State University Long Beach will visit Qingdao, China as part of a program that aims to provide more exposure to China among American students. I'm really looking forward to meeting the other students to uh, try some of the food in Qingdao. I hear the seafood is very good. During his visit to California last year, Chinese President Xi Jinping said China was ready to invite 50,000 young Americans to exchange and study programs over the next five years. It's gaining momentum, according to the coordinator of the Long Beach Qingdao Student Exchange Program. That one's really fun because that you get to grow a relationship with someone uh, you know, halfway across the world. And they, they get to talk about various topics such as like culture, food, music, or just everyday life. They could just chat and just get to know each other. Long Beach and Qingdao have been sister cities for nearly four decades, promoting cultural and business exchange activities. The president of the Long Beach Qingdao Association says the program comes at a perfect time. So they're going to know more about the culture. And it's perfect timing, right? Because right before... New Year, Chinese New Year, so they're going to see the University of Qingdao, the Polytechnic there, they're going to visit the port, so very uh, enriching uh, opportunities for for our members, for our students, and, and for us for a celebration in Chinese New Year. The exchange program aims to create so-called citizen ambassadors who appreciate the need for cross-cultural understanding. And it's hoped that seeds of these friendships could one day help strengthen ties between the U.S. and China. That was Eddie Stiansan reporting. More on the friendly exchanges between China and the United States as the two countries marks 45 years of diplomatic ties. Students from the University of Virginia have visited China, following in the footsteps of the well-known ping-pong diplomacy to attend a table tennis event. 
Their trip comes on the heels of a visit to the U.S. by Chinese students last month. Wang Mengjie has more. Buzzing with excitement, players from both China and the U.S. exchange their ping pong skills in Beijing. It's amazing. We get a really good glimpse into Chinese culture, even though we're only here for two weeks. We see so much. We have a very dense schedule, and it's been a really great opportunity for us. Sports definitely, we found, ha- is a great way to bridge the relationship、um, because both countries, although we have some differences,、um, we have some different opinions, but we both like the same sport, and so we can both play the same sport and realize, wow, we have more in common than we thought. <laughs> The students are on a nine-day trip to China from Hong Kong, Beijing to Shanghai to learn about the history of ping-pong diplomacy and the cultural differences between China and the U.S. During their stay in the Chinese capital, they played ping-pong with the students from Tsinghua University and the UVA Club, attended event marking the 45th anniversary of bilateral ties, and met with Foreign Minister Wang Yi. The China-U.S. ping pong diplomacy began in 1971 during the 31st World Table Tennis Championship in Japan, when American ping pong team received a surprise invitation from their Chinese counterparts for a visit to China, which ended a 22-year estrangement between the two countries. These days,、um, relations are, are a little bit tense. Sometimes there are some differences between、uh, the U.S. and Chinese governments, and so we at the University of Virginia want to do our part to make the relationship better. And so, since ping pong worked in the past, I think it will help work again to help people have fun together, understand each other better, and realize what they have in common together. The tour was followed by a visit the students of Peking University made to the U.S. in December of 2023 for the 52nd anniversary of ping pong diplomacy. Against the backdrop of a distrust and tension between the world's two largest economies, the ping pong events are designed to promote the value of people-to-people exchanges and interaction through sport to create better conditions for mutual understanding. That was Wang Mengjie on sports helping bridge the gap between the people in China and the U.S. As a form of e-commerce originating from China, live streaming is gaining popularity among more and more Brazilian consumers because of its interesting mode of interaction between sellers and buyers. To capitalize on market opportunities, many Chinese live streaming entrepreneurs are seeking to establish a strong presence in the Brazilian market. Lei Xiangping reports from Sao Paulo. Zhang Mingjie from Inner Mongolia launched a live streaming studio in Brazil's largest city in São Paulo a few years ago, hoping to combine the advantages of made in China products with the inductive future of live streaming to better explore the Brazilian market. Zhang says the studio Vaca Shop sells a large number of products worth over a hundred fourteen thousand US dollars. We have five self-operated live streaming rooms selling clothing, electronics, kitchen items, and others. We have a team of 20 people, including live streamers. In Brazil, the live streaming ecosystem is still developing, so we use two platforms: the overseas version of Chinese social media platform Kuaishou and Shopee. Our monthly sales range from 700,000 to 800,000 Brazilian reals. On good days, we get about 1,200 orders. On slower days, just a few hundred. Since its launch, 
Workshops, affiliate accounts on various social media platforms have amassed over 5.8 million followers. The studio has not only trained a group of local live streamers, but has also developed its own experience in e-commerce practices in Brazil. Martins, one of the studio's live streamers, says selling products in front of the camera is a new and challenging experience for him. Então, tem a diferença no caso justamente porque a gente não tá de Live streaming is unique because we are not directly interacting with customers, making credibility a challenge. We need to understand the products well to let our customers know how the products solve problems. Despite being new to live streaming, I really enjoy this job. To ensure a smooth supply chain, Jamingjie leverages his experience from operating physical stores and Symbolo's role as a key distribution center for Chinese goods. The city's 25th Street commercial district houses over 3,000 Chinese shops, making it a significant wholesale market and distribution center. Zhang says he has no problem getting good supplies for his studio. I source goods in two ways. For electronic products, I handle shipping from China myself. For items like clothing and kitchen products, I partner with a local Chinese businessman who's into import-export. We have two collaboration modes. First, he provides wholesale prices, and I sell in my live streaming rooms with a profit margin. The second is direct selling of his products. He handles packaging and shipping, and we share the profits. Brazil has a high internet penetration rates and more than half of its over 200 million people has registered on various social media platforms, including Kuaishou and TikTok. This has attracted Chinese live streaming entrepreneurs like Zhao Mingjie to try their luck in the region. Despite the early stage of live streaming development in Brazil, local companies are recognizing its potential. According to a survey by local live streaming firm Mino Live Sales, the most popular categories of live streaming products in Brazil are fashion, beauty, household products, and electronic products. Matteo Servius is the principal analyst for Latin America from Inside Intelligence, a market research organization based in New York. He is upbeat about the future of live streaming in Brazil. In Brazil in particular, live stream live streaming e-commerce is developing very rapidly. It's a very it's a quite exciting time uh, in particular where we're seeing that more than six in ten digital buyers have made purchase after seeing a live stream on, on online, whether that's on social platforms like Instagram, Facebook, or even on retailers' own digital platforms itself. Um, and that's about slightly more than a third that did so last year. So we're basically seeing a rapid acceleration in terms of the overall number of buyers. Statistics show that between 2019 and 2022, the market size of live streaming in Brazil reached over 91 billion US dollars. And it is expected to maintain an annual growth rate of more than 25% in the coming years. For the Beijing Hour, this is Lei Xiangping in São Paulo. You're listening to The Beijing Hour. Coming up, the U.S. Secretary of State visits the Middle East again to prevent the Israel-Hamas conflict from spreading. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive, the podcast from CGTN Radio. 
Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platform and get ready to dive in. It's 16 minutes past the hour. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is back in the Middle East, hoping to prevent the Israel-Hamas conflict from spreading as fighting enters its fourth month. He spoke about humanitarian aid for Gaza and the future of the territory during meetings with the Emir of Qatar and the King of Jordan. Meanwhile, the Israeli military has signaled an end to its major combat in northern Gaza, saying it's completed dismantling Hamas's military infrastructure there. Isabel Debris with the Associated Press has more. We have seen U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken in the region. He met with Jordanian officials, including, of course, King Abdullah II in Amman. And then he traveled to Qatar, which has been a major mediator so far in the conflict between Israel and Hamas. And as a result, we heard him speaking with the Qatari prime minister. Let's hear what he had to say there. We share a commitment to ensure that the conflict does not expand. Uh, And I think we also share a commitment to use the influence, the relationships, the ties that we have with different parties in the region to try to avoid escalation and to deter new fronts from opening. Many different topics were on the agenda, and one of the most important was how to pressure Israel to scale down its ground offensive. Of course, that has been wreaking such destruction across the Gaza Strip, how to make it shift into a new phase. The second issue really was about humanitarian aid. We are seeing over 1.5 million people in the southern town of Rafah. Really, levels of starvation are approaching famine conditions. There just is not enough humanitarian aid getting through. And the third issue is really what happens even after the war. It sounds early to discuss, but of course, we are hearing worrisome threats from Israeli ministers, according to the United States and other allies, saying that they should, the Palestinians should be resettled, that Israeli settlement should continue in the Gaza Strip, should actually be revived there. No matter what happens there, certainly it is important to mention that Lincoln, Biden, definitely need regional buy-in. This war is grinding on even as the Israeli military has wound down most of its troops in northern Gaza after saying that it has achieved nearly full Israeli military control. We are seeing it pressing its offensive in the central Gaza Strip as well as the southern parts. That was Associated Press correspondent Isabel Debris. A senior Hamas official has urged the United States to review its policies concerning the ongoing conflict between Israel and Palestine. Osama Hamdan said U.S. banking of Israel is the main factor in the continuation of the conflict. He also stressed that Gaza will only be an integral part of an independent, fully sovereign Palestinian state with Jerusalem as its capital. Hamdan says only the Palestinian people can decide its future and land. We also affirm that all the ideas that are being circulated about establishing a civil administration for the Gaza Strip that will operate under the shadow of the occupying army or under security supervision over it, that will neither exist nor succeed. The Gaza Strip will only be purely Palestinian and will only be led by Palestinians. Meanwhile, Hamdan called on Arab, Muslim and African countries to support a case filed by South Africa against Israel to be brought on Thursday to the International Court of Justice in The Hague. South Africa launched the case at the UN top court last week, alleging that the military campaign of Israel in Gaza amounts to genocide. 
Al-Aqsa is the only hospital that remains open in central Gaza. Health authorities say Israeli drones opened fire on the facility that is sheltering a large number of people. The head of the World Health Organization says the strike has forced hundreds of patients and medical workers to leave. Noor Harrison has more from the hospital. Let's follow her inside. I am now inside the Shahada Al-Aqsa Hospital. Let me show you the situation now inside the Shahada Al-Aqsa Hospital. And this happened after now the Israeli incursion has reached the land uh, opposing the Salah al-Din uh, street, which is next to the hospital. They fired uh, live bullets towards the premature baby uh, building. The doctors have left everything here behind. And many of them, they left because, as what they say, the doctors, they don't want to make the mistake of the Ashifa hospital. This is just to, to, to show you how the situation inside the Shuhada Al-Aqsa hospital uh, now. Uh, many people who were inside the hospital, they evacuated, fearing for their safety. But still, until now, the hospital is housing hundreds of people who are injured, who are patients, and they need medical treatment. That was Noor Harzin in Gaza. The director of Al-Aqsa Mater's Hospital is calling for more protection of the local medical facilities and health workers in the ongoing Israel-Palestine conflict. Iyad Abu Zahar warns that the consequences could be dire. We call on the international community, the World Health Organization and all international bodies to protect our medical staff and hospitals. Today we are on the verge of a real catastrophe, which if it happens, we will not have a single opportunity to provide any medical services to our people who will be left to die in the streets. WHO team coordinator Sean Casey says the request by Zahar to protect hospitals is essential for people to access medical care. Health facilities must be protected. Health workers must be protected. Patients must be safe in accessing care. What we see is a hospital that is really struggling with many, many casualties and very few staff to care for them. That's partially because staff are afraid to come here. Staff have fled to areas south of here. Last week, the International Federation of Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies warned of an imminent collapse of the healthcare system in southern Gaza. It said most hospitals in northern Gaza have stopped operating, and the Al Alma Hospital in the south is also about to shut down due to persistent shelling by Israel. Houthi attacks on cargo ships in the Red Sea have increased economic pressure. Global shipping companies are avoiding the waters off the coast of Yemen, raising the cost of goods in Kenya and other countries in the region. Nick Mudimba reports from Nairobi. Commercial shipping has been greatly affected and the ports of Mombasa and Dar es Salaam are not receiving goods as usual. Now, 20% of world's container ships are avoiding the Red Sea. Instead, they are using and, of course, steaming around southern Africa instead. Now, this is making the route longer and it's trickling down uh, to a commercial side of making things expensive here in Kenya. For example, car dealers have to deal with more days to receive the goods but as it is right now, the Houthi rebels are still continuing with their onslaught on these commercial ships, even as other international bodies and countries are trying to intervene. 
higher cost of shipping and the cost of actually just making sure the ships are using longer routes is also a problem. The fuel prices globally have increased and this is making things even more expensive for countries like Kenya. So many consumers have to wait longer for their goods to arrive, which is catastrophic to their businesses. For example, as I mentioned earlier, car dealers are of course still in construction is making even building in the country very expensive. The ships that have anchored along the Red Sea are waiting for the next move from international bodies to make sure that indeed they're not attacked by the rebels. That was Nick Mudimba on the cost of shipping as a result of Houthi attacks in the Red Sea. Coming up, investigators say the missing part of an Alaska Airlines plane that blew off mid-flight is found. Discover the realities and responses to our changing climate with Climate Watch. Uncover critical issues such as the Maasai Mara's disrupted wildebeest migration and the drop in the Panama Canal's water levels. Delve into solutions for a sustainable future. Tune in to Climate Watch on your favorite podcast platform. Become more eco-conscious and take action to protect our planet. 24 past the hour. U.S. investigators say a teacher in Portland has found in his yard the chunk of a Boeing 737 MAX 9 aircraft that blew off during mid-flight. The Federal Aviation Administration has grounded 171 Boeing jets installed with the same fuselage door plug after the Alaska Airlines plane made an emergency landing. Karina Mitchell examines the implications of this incident. It was a terrifying moment for the 177 passengers and crew on board Alaska Airlines Flight 1282. Shortly after takeoff, a cabin panel from the plane ripped off, leaving a gaping hole in the aircraft and forcing the pilot to make an emergency landing. The airline says the Boeing 737 MAX 9 had just reached an altitude of about 4,880 meters after taking off from Oregon en route to California when the harrowing midair event occurred. I woke up to the plane just falling and I knew it was not just normal turbulence because the masks came down and that's when the panic definitely started to set in. Officials say no one was seriously injured, but the incident prompted the Federal Aviation Administration to make the rare move of temporarily grounding about 171 Boeing 737 MAX 9 jets pending safety inspections on its mid-door cabin plugs. Some of the Boeing models impacted have fewer passenger seats and aren't required to use all of their emergency doors, instead filling them with plugs, like the inoperational door that blew off the Alaska jet. Kansas-based Spirit Aerosystems, which split from Boeing in 2005, confirmed it installed the door plug on the ill-fated flight that had only been in service for about two months. It's unclear if Boeing is to blame for the Alaska Airlines failure, but the maker has come under fresh scrutiny over the safety of its best-selling aircraft. Boeing was blamed for two separate fatal crashes tied to its 737 MAX 8 jets, which killed 346 people in 2018 and 2019. The incidents resulted in the models being grounded worldwide. By the time passenger flights resumed using its MAX jets at the end of 2020, the debacle cost Boeing about $20 billion. China only started flying MAX jets again in 2023. 
Boeing is cooperating fully with the Alaska Airlines investigation, but the latest failure involving one of its planes could throw up in the air hopes for the U.S. manufacturer to resume deliveries of its Cash Cow Max aircraft to China, which have been suspended since 2019. That was Karina Michel reporting. Bangladesh's ruling Awami League party of Prime Minister Sheikh Hasima has gained more than 70% of parliamentary seats in the country's general elections. Election Commission officials have declared the results of most of the seats in parliament. Bangladesh held general elections on Sunday to elect 299 members of parliament. Now 28 minutes past the hour. Let's check the weather. Beijing is minus 5 on Monday evening. Tuesday will be sunny and 4. Nanchang is 6 tonight, tomorrow cloudy and 15. Elsewhere in Asia, Islamabad is 3 this evening, clear and 17 on Tuesday. Vientiane is 20 overnight, tomorrow sunny and 32. Panopan is 23 overnight, clear and 35 tomorrow. In Africa, Nairobi will see light rain with a high of 27 on Tuesday. Kampala is 20 overnight, tomorrow will have light rain with a high of 25. Juba is 23 tonight, tomorrow overcast and 39. Now it's time for a short break. So far this hour, the Maldivian president is paying a state visit to China this week. The U.S. Secretary of State visits the Middle East again to prevent the Israel-Hamas conflict from spreading. And investigators say the missing part of an Alaska Airlines plane that blew off mid-flight is found. Do Hongyu with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. Experience the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. Music Talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. We then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures, and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. German railway company Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. I love you. 我爱你. This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you're a rookie, or a sophisticated learner, there is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Do Hongyu with you on this Monday. Still to come in business, China to promote the use of clean energy. In sports, Rafael Nadal to miss the Australian Open due to a new injury. In culture and entertainment, a fashion week in China showcasing ethnic minority dress. To contact us, you can email at cgtn.com or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at CGTN Radio. Now, first, today's headlines. Here's Tian Yu. Thank you, Hong Yu. 
China's civil aviation authorities say this year's Spring Festival travel rush will begin on January 26 and last for 40 days. They are expecting 80 million air travels during this period. The Beijing-Tianjin-Hebei region, the Yangtze River Delta, and the Guangdong-Hong Kong-Macau Greater Bay Area are among the busiest during the Chinese New Year holiday, which starts on February the 10th. Tourist cities in southern China, including Sanya and winter resorts in the northeast, are also expected to see a surge in visitors. Qatar says the killing of top Hamas leader Saleh Arari in Beirut last week has affected its ability to mediate between the Palestinian group and Israel. But Qatarian Prime Minister Mohammed bin Abdullah Rahman Al Thani says the country will continue its mediation efforts. The Prime Minister met U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken, who is visiting the region for the fourth time since the Israel-Hamas conflict broke out in October. The Israeli army says it is it has dismantled Hamas's military infrastructure in northern Gaza, signaling that it has wrapped up major combat in the region. Israel Defense Forces spokesperson Rear Admiral Daniel Hagari says Hamas no longer operates in an organized manner in northern Gaza, and that that the IDF has disabled its main capabilities in the area. We have completed the dismantling of Hamas' military framework in the northern Gaza Strip, and will continue to deepen the achievement, strengthening the barrier and the defense components along the security fence. Now we are focusing on dismantling Hamas in the central and southern Gaza Strip. We will do this differently, thoroughly, based on the lessons we have learned from the fighting so far. The spokesperson adds the fighting will take time and continue during this year. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has committed to continuing continuing its military action against Hamas in Gaza. He insists that the conflict will not end until Israel achieves the goals of eliminating Hamas, getting Israel Israeli hostages returned, and ensuring that Gaza will not be a threat to Israel. Local authorities and media outlets say explosions have been heard in several cities across Ukraine after Russia launched missile attacks against the country. Media reports say explosions shook the central cities of Dnipro and Kyivria, as well as the eastern city of Kharkiv and the southern city of Zaporizhia. Ukrainian military officials say air raid alerts have been issued for the entire country. Safety checks on some Boeing jets have hit a snag over paperwork following the latest incident involving a new Boeing 737 Max 9 airplane in midair. The U.S. Federal Aviation Administration has ordered the temporary grounding of more than 170 Boeing jets operated by U.S. airlines or in U.S. territory. The order came after part of a Boeing 737 Max 9 fuselage blew out from an from an Alaska Airlines flight out of Portland, forcing the eight-week jet to make an emergency landing. Landing. The, ex- the incident has put Boeing back、uh, back under scrutiny as it awaits certification of its Max 7 and Max 10 airplanes. The FAA initially said the required inspections would take four to eight hours, but criteria for the checks have yet to be agreed between the agency and Boeing. Heavy snowfall in the Japanese prefecture of Ishikawa is adding difficulty to relief and rescue operations in the aftermath of a magnitude 7.6 quake which struck on New Year's Day. Weather conditions may further hamper efforts to find survivors and deliver relief goods. At least 168 people have died in the earthquake, and hundreds more remain missing. Around 30,000 people are living in evacuation centers. 
Ten people are reportedly injured after light plane flipped and crashed on a small island in Australia's Great, Bar- Great Barrier Reef. Media reports say the plane with ten people on board was returning to the runway on Lizard Island shortly after taking off on a scheduled service to Cairns. Pictures from the scene show debris littering the field near the badly damaged upturned fuselage. Health officials say all ten people have been transported to Cairns Hospital and they are in a stable condition. The first American moon lander in more than five decades has lifted off from Cape Canaveral in Florida on a private mission. Astrobotic Technologies uh, Peregrine Lunar Lander is hitching a ride on a brand new rocket by United Launch Alliance. Pittsburgh-based Astrobotic is aiming to be the first private business to successfully land on the moon. The lander is expected to touch down on lunar surface in February. Thank you very much. That was Tian Yu with Headline News. This is Do Hongyu in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, China is on the way to promote the use of clean energy. Ever wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China-Africa Talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get on our wavelength every week to find out what's real with China Africa Talk. Find us on your favorite podcast. We'll see you there. 36 past the hour. Now let's move on to business. The Chinese mainland markets closed lower on Monday. Timothy Pope has more. It is rare to see the uh, Shanghai Composite Index dip below 2,900 points. All the Shenzhen component go below 9,000. And the CSI 300 hit a nearly five-year low. Uh, The Shanghai Composite lost about 1.4%. The last time it was this low was the beginning of 2020, right around the time of the first COVID outbreak. Every sector was down. Uh, That was led by losses uh, among tech and real estate stocks. Uh, There was really, there's a lot weighing on investors' minds at the moment. Uh, Economic data, geopolitical tensions, and just the poor state of the markets themselves right now. Uh, There's fresh cause for concern as well after some media reports uh, that the regulators are scrapping a ban on uh, daily net selling of shares by mutual fund companies. This was a rule that was put in place late last year to stabilise the markets and it meant that uh, on any given day, mutual funds had to buy more shares than they sold. But uh, if that restriction is gone, uh, then it it may give us an indication of how strong the selling pressure is uh, or if the markets really are nearing uh, their bottom. That was Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index dropped 1.9%. China has set the stage for further advancements in its energy sector in 2024. That's according to a research report by the Beijing Institute of Technology, one of China's one of the country's top universities in science and engineering. The report highlights China's improved energy security, rising demand for clean energy consumption, and the expansion of clean heating in rural areas over the past year. It also notes that progress in the wind and solar industries is driving China toward its goal of achieving carbon neutrality by 2060. Data from 2022 shows that renewable energy makes up nearly 26% of China's total energy consumption. More than 37 million households in rural areas of northern China have switched from coal to clean energy for heating. 
China's foreign exchange rates had re- reached 3.2 trillion U.S. dollars by the end of 2023. The amount is around 2% higher compared to the previous month. The State Administration of Foreign Exchange says it'll focus on deepening the reform and opening up in the foreign exchange sector. Fixed asset investment in China's transport sector expanded 3.2% year-on-year in the first 11 months of 2023. The total investment stood at 3.6 trillion yuan, or about 506 billion U.S. dollars. Investment in roads went up 1.2% to 2.6 trillion yuan, while investment in waterways jumped 24% to reach 183 billion yuan. Now let's move on to China's logistics sector, which also registered fast expansion in December. The index tracking the country's logistics market performance stood at 53.5 last month, up 0.2 from November. A reading above 50% indicates expansion, while a reading below reflects contraction. The sub-indexes measuring business expectations came in at 54.8, while new logistics orders stood at 52.8. An influx of investment from Latin American countries into real estate in Madrid is driving up property prices. Ken Brown has more. With over 350 days of sun per year, Madrid is Europe's sunniest capital. It's also Spanish-speaking, and that goes a long way if you're a Latin American investor. It's become an alternative to traditional safe havens in the U.S., like Miami, L.A., or New York. Ángeles Nieto is a property personal shopper and runs Luxury Angels, a one-stop shop for property seekers. Foreign clients often buy without even visiting the property in person. We are the client's eyes and ears when they want to buy a home here in Madrid. In 2010, a lot of Venezuelans came. Now they are from Mexico, Colombia, Chile, Peru, Ecuador, Argentina, all of these countries with changing governments. In 2022, almost $140 billion took flight from Latin America's five biggest economies, a 41% rise on 2021 numbers. Spain and around 16 other European countries offer a golden visa for high net worth individuals for an investment of at least 550,000 US dollars. Ángeles has seen a sharp rise in buyers like the Heinz family who have just moved from Colombia. Love Madrid. There's a lot to do. There's a lot to see. Living in Bogota, we feel that things are becoming less and less safe, not just for ourselves, but our children. Life is good here in the center of Madrid, but foreign investment has helped send prices soaring, putting property out of the reach for many Madrileños. Spain has some of the lowest wage levels in Europe, and getting on the property ladder, particularly for young people, is increasingly out of reach. House prices in Madrid rose by 13% last year, faster than any other region in Spain. In neighborhoods in Tribunal, local resident groups point to the many apartments now on short-term rent tourist platforms like Airbnb as another driver of price inflation. In the center of Madrid alone, right now there are 7,000 apartments being used as tourist lets. There's 7,000 homes that could be available on the residential rent market, a supply that would help lower prices. Madrid is the new Miami, say industry experts, but balancing foreign investment with serving the local community has become increasingly difficult. That was Ken Brown reporting. 
Top U.S. congressional leaders have agreed on a spending deal of nearly 1.6 trillion U.S. dollars as the government races to avoid a potential shutdown later this month. The deal establishes an overall spending budget for the 2024 fiscal year, allocating 886 billion to military spending and 704 billion for non-defense spending. The deal comes as the House and Senate move closer to the key deadline on January 19th, when funding runs out for many federal agencies. Thai Prime Minister Sada Thavinsing says the central bank should consider cutting interest rates as inflation is very low. The prime minister says the economy has not benefited from rate hikes, adding that the central bank should support the public by avoiding raising rates in a way that goes against inflation. In November, the Thai central bank left its policy rate unchanged at a decade high of 2.5 percent, after having raised it by 200 basis points since October 2022 to curb inflation. It will next review its rate policy on February the 7th. A robot which adopts 5G and AI technologies to make coffee has caught the eyes of visitors at the just-concluded China International Coffee Expo in Pu'er, Yunnan Province. Its exhibitor Li Yingfang says she hopes the technologies can better boost the growth of the local coffee industry. We use the 5G network for data transmission and to control the entire operation process. We've also added an AI program so the robot can handle the entire pour-over coffee process, from picking and grinding the beans to steaming, brewing, and cleaning. Yunnan Province in southwestern China is the country's largest coffee-growing region. It produces over 110,000 tons of raw coffee beans a year on around 84,000 hectares of land. The province's coffee bean output accounts for over 98 percent of the country's total production. This year's coffee expo has attracted over 200 companies and over 100 baristas from around the globe. The flower market is booming in the southern Chinese city of Guangzhou ahead of the Spring Festival or the Chinese New Year. Many have flocked to the Lingnan Flower Market to buy flowers for home decoration. A customer surnamed Lin says he can find all kinds of flowers there. Kids love these flowers, and they will make our home look pretty. The New Year flowers are affordable right now, but their prices might go up when the Spring Festival arrives. Known as a flower city, Guangzhou is an important production base for foliage plants and potted flowers in China. The city is expected to supply about 15 million pots of New Year flowers around the 2024 Spring Festival, about a month away from now. Home. Home appliances output in China saw double-digit growth in the first 11 months of 2023. The most notable products among them are refrigerators, air conditioners, and washing machines. The output of washing machines registered the biggest growth of 20% to reach 95 million units. The gross domestic product of Southwest China's Xizang Autonomous Region grew about 9% in 2023. The region's GDP was estimated at 230 billion yuan, or around 32 billion U.S. dollars, last year. The per capita disposable income of urban residents in the region jumped 6.5% on a yearly basis to over 50,000 yuan, while that of rural residents increased 10% to 20,000 yuan. In 2023, Xizang received a record of 55 million tourists, generating a tourism revenue of around 9 billion U.S. dollars. 
The region has set a GDP growth target of about eight percent for 2024. Now you're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, Rafael Nadal to miss the Australian Open due to a new injury. Sideline Story brings you all things sports-related: the hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. It's forty-seven minutes past the hour. Now turn to sports. Here's Yang Guan. Thank you, Hong Yi. Rafael Nadal's comeback from hip surgery is on hold after he withdrew from the Australian Open with a new injury. The 37-year-old made the announcement a week before the start of the season's first Grand Slam tournament. Nadal said medical tests he took in Melbourne revealed a small tear in the hip muscle, and he would fly home to Spain for treatment. Nadal made his return to the tour in Brisbane last week after nearly 12 months away. After winning two matches, he took a medical timeout during the third set of a quarterfinal loss to Jordan Thompson on Friday. But the Spaniard said the muscle tear is not in the same part where he had surgery, and he called it good news. Grigor Dimitrov has won his first ATP Tour title since 2017 after beating Hugo Rune in the Brisbane International Final. The 32-year-old straight-sets win came after a battling encounter that lasted two hours and 17 minutes. Clearly, winning a title it means a lot to me. It's been a while. Having that moment is 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 what I'm, in a way, what I'm after. I think, and also matches like that, playing against the、uh, the top players and way younger than me as well. It's a very good way for me to see where I'm at, and I think this is this is where I'm most, in a way, most proud with. Elena Rabakina claimed the women's title with the six-love, six-three round of top-seed Arena Sabalenka in a perfect tune-up for the Australian Open. Meanwhile, Coco Gauff retained her title at the WTA Auckland Classic, beating Elena Svitolina in the final. The former U.S. Open champion dropped her first set of the tournament, but managed to fight back in a tough battle in just under three hours. Uh, yeah, this is my first time ever having to defend a title,、um, so、uh, really happy that I was able to do it today. This year's tournament was a lot different. Last year, it rained almost every single match, and we were playing indoors with you know just two or three people watching. So it's really cool and good to play in front of a packed crowd almost every match. So thank you guys. Gauff carried her Auckland form into the Australian Open last year, matching her best result in Melbourne by reaching the fourth round. Still in tennis, Alexander Zverev saved two match points to lead Germany to the United Cup title after beating Poland in Sydney. Zverev was one set down and trailed Hubert Hiedkatz 6-4 in the second set tiebreak in his men's singles tie before making the remarkable comeback. He then partnered with Laura Sigmund to win the deciding mixed doubles match to give Germany the nail-biting victory that ended around 2 a.m. local time. It's probably even more difficult than a slam, to be honest, because you know in a slam, yes, you you might be playing five sets, but you always have a, a day in between, and you always kind of get the recovery. Here, you don't have time. You know, yesterday I went to bed at 5:30 a.m. You know, I have to still get up out of bed and、um, not feeling great, still play two matches. So、um, yeah, physically, it, it it is a very difficult event for sure. But、um, this trophy makes it all worth it. Earlier on the women's singles side, top-ranked Iga Swiatek had given Poland an early lead with a straight-sets win against Angelique Kerber. The 22-year-old won 6-3, 6-love to stretch her winning streak to 16 matches. 
Now turning to European football, Arsenal's New Year struggles continued as they suffered a third straight defeat and an elimination from the FA Cup. The Gunners conceded two goals in the final 10 minutes and fell against Liverpool 2-0 in the heavyweight third-round matchup. But Arsenal manager Mikel Lateta says he believes his team will bounce back. I haven't seen any other team in the first six months that has generated what we have done against them in the last two games. And um, are we not capitalizing? But not today in the last few games. That's why we're not winning games performance-wise, merit-wise. There's no question who merits to win the game. Actually, the results did something very different. But when my team plays with that attitude, with that courage, with that design, does what they've done to probably the best team in Europe at the moment in terms of momentum, what can I do? Stick behind them and support them. Meantime, Kevin De Bruyne came back to the pitch after nearly five months out injured as Manchester City routed the hardest field 5-0. De Bruyne came on as a second-half substitute, providing an assist for City's final goal. Pep Guardiola was more than happy about his return. He played a really good minute, really one, so we thought it was better to play the second half in the beginning where the game is more tight. But uh, now Newcastle have another chance and after you have two weeks to make a good trainings here in Abu Dhabi to the second part of the season. But we are incredible delighted he's back because Kevin helps to win games and there are few in the world. Erling Haaland was still deemed not fit enough to feature for City but should be back soon. And finally, in Italy, defending Serie A champion Napoli's decline this season continued as they lost 3-0 at Torino. Napoli is now ninth on the table, 20 points behind league leader Inter Milan. Meanwhile, Juventus needed a last-minute goal to win 2-1 at Salernitana on a much more difficult evening than against the same team three days ago. Dusan Vlahovic headed in the winner in stoppage time to see Juve move back to within two points of Inter. AC Milan took its first away win in in three months, beating relegation-threatened Empoli 3-0. Olivier Giroud converted a penalty and took his goal tally into double figures for the 14th season in a row. Thank you very much. That was Yang Guang with sports. Coming up in culture and entertainment, a fashion week in China showcasing ethnic minority dress. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X-Men Days of Future Past. You are listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you are listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi everyone, I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to the Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. 53 past the hour, turning to culture and entertainment. One of the most renowned Peking Opera Theatres in Beijing has reopened after nearly two years of renovation. The Huguang Guild Hall was built in 1807 and has staged performances by many famous Peking opera artists, including Mei Lanfan and Tan Xinpei. Opera fans can now follow the actors to visit different parts of the Guild Hall in a, in a new immersive opera performance to learn about the history of the theatre. Visitors can examine historical documents, opera costumes, and stage prompts, and also listen to live shows performed by famous opera artists recreated using digital technology. A new fashion week in southwest China is showcasing the diversity of ethnic minority dress. The purpose is to promote and innovate traditional fashion for the 21st century. Yang Jinghao spoke to the fashion week participants. Over the past week, about 40 fashion shows have been held in Chuxiong, southwest China's Yunnan province, home to about 780,000 Yi people. 
more than 1,000 costumes belonging to different ethnic groups have been displayed, showcasing the country's diversity. Costumes are an important carrier of ethnic culture. We feel honored to be invited to this event. The costumes we're showcasing this time are from the Li and Miao ethnic groups of Hainan province, which we think are beautiful and typical. China officially has 55 ethnic minority groups, and each has their own distinctive style of dress. Many of these traditional clothes are exquisitely embroidered and feature bright colors. The fashion week is new, but has its roots in a local costume competition first held some 1,350 years ago. Representative costumes from Malaysia, Laos, Myanmar, Cambodia, Bangladesh, Vietnam, and Thailand also provide audiences with a visual feast. I feel happy that the event helps more people better understand the Thai culture. The costumes I've brought this time were worn by people from the Rama 5th period, which was more than 200 years ago, to the Rama 9th period. Chu Xiu's Yi embroidery has a long history dating back more than 1,700 years. In recent years, the local government has stepped up efforts to revive the ancient craft by integrating modern elements. We will strive to achieve an added value of 1 billion yuan by 2025 and bring the number of embroiderers to 100,000. We will also give more emphasis to branding and try to build a globally recognized brand with rich cultural connotations. A forum has also been held for the week-long event, where scholars and fashion designers discussed how to protect ancient costume tailoring traditions while innovating in the 21st century. That was Yang Jinghao in Chuxing, Yunnan province. Oppenheimer dominated the Golden Globe Awards, taking home the night's top honor. Christopher Nolan's epic drama picked up five big awards, including Best Drama Film, Best Director, Best Actor, and Best Supporting Actor. Nolan says the awards belong to the whole crew. I can only accept this on behalf of, of people. As directors, we, we bring people together and we try and get them to give of their, their best. And uh, Robert Killian, my partner in crime of 20 years, uh, Matt, wherever you went, and uh, Florence and Emily, just uh, the incredible work of our amazing crew. Yorgos uh, Lanthimos's Poor Things won Best Comedy or Musical and the 81st Golden Globes, an upset victory over the category favorite Barbie. Emma Stone also won for her performance in Poor Things. Lily Gladstone won Best Actress in a Dramatic Film for Martin Scorsese's Fi Killers of the Flower Moon. Now it's 58 past the hour. Let's check the weather. Beijing is minus 5 on Monday evening. Tuesday will be sunny and 4. Nanchang is 6 tonight. Tomorrow cloudy and 15. Elsewhere in Asia, Islamabad is 3 this evening, clear and 17 on Tuesday. Vientiane is 20 overnight. Tomorrow sunny and 32. Panopan is 23 overnight, clear and 35 tomorrow. In Africa, Nairobi will see light rain with a high of 27 on Tuesday. Kampala is 20 overnight. Tomorrow will have light rain with a high of 25. That's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, the Moldavian... 
president is paying a state visit to China this week. The U.S. Secretary of State visits the Middle East again to prevent the Israel-Hamas conflict from spreading. On behalf of the staff, this is Dou Hongyu with you in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour. Takeaway Chinese, where you can take some Chinese away and experience progress day by day. Takeaway Chinese, we will promise you a difference. Welcome to Roundtable, coming to you live from Beijing. From Beijing. Roundtable. 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 Connecting China and the world. We bring you fun and timely discussions about what's affecting our lives everywhere, every day. Tune in to Roundtable, where the East meets the West, and understanding is the goal. From north to south, east to west. People in China are chasing their dreams and leaving their mark. Want to know how they beat the odds and made a difference? Footprints brings you the true life stories of their journeys. 